0: Hi there, my name is Sue Nelson and for the re- I can't even say it. That's a great start of the programme, it? And for the next half hour or so, we're going to be talking about all things food and drink. I'm joined by my fellow presenter, Ollie, who's smirk- smirking because I'm not that wrong. Ollie Lloyd of Great British Chefs. Hi, Ollie. Hey. How are you doing, sir? Yeah, good. I'm doing very, very well. And, of course, Holly Shackleton, editor of Speciality Food Magazine. Hi, Holly. Hello. you managing to stick to all your New Year resolutions?
1: I am. Coming towards about. the end of January now? Yeah, only quality alcohol, and quality food. We learnt
0: that from Jane Painter that, last week, yeah, didn't we? Yeah, we learnt
1: that last week, so that's yeah. still going The so
0: secret to... It's, it's just Longevity, quality, quality um, everything, really, yeah, isn't it?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Go on.
0: Yeah, no,
2: no, no. I, I, I agree. Listen, I, I, I wish that we'd had these conversations before I'd drawn up my New Year's resolutions. They could yeah. have been so much more effective.
0: And so much easier. Yes. As well. Um, we've got Gordon Davidson of Morocco Gold, Morocco Gold and Ross Ford of Haloburg in the studio. Um, have you ever been to Morocco, Holly? Yep. Have you been Very to Marrakesh?
2: Nice. I've been to Marrakesh and Fez.
0: And Marrakesh is probably one of the most bonkers places on the planet. In terms of noise, culture, it's just mad.
2: Yeah, I mean the 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 that's that sort of that early image of kind of getting lost in the labyrinth with you know a long long ball of string. You know, you to walk around being through. run over
0: by mopeds. Well, you you as you wander around, you're just carts. like,
2: where am I? I didn't, I'm sure I passed that carpet shop before, or was it a different one? Yeah, or, yeah. I love and- Morocco
0: if if nobody's been to Marrakesh, so there's the a sort of old town literally there's no cars are allowed in the middle of it and it's very very narrow streets and it and literally is a massive huge marketplace with with people in your face and noises and colors and all sorts of things but you know people still are wanging around on you know mopeds and got carts and so, you know easily get run over and it's just a complete i don't know it's it's it's, it's cultural of its own would you say that,
3: Gordon? It is such. It's a, almost like uh, a oh, of thing oh, a yeah! It, it is. Uh, it's so vibrant. It's so colourful. Uh, there's all the exotic you know, smells of the, the the spices in the uh, in the, the marketplace. Pieces of
0: animal heads hanging out, bleeding. Absolutely, and all that sort of
3: absolutely. Stuff. Uh, it's uh, it's a very very frenetic place, but mm. the people there are absolutely fantastic. They Amazing. are lovely, lovely uh, people, and so welcoming. Yep. Uh, of uh, of westerners and uh, and tourists and uh, and so on. So then there's the huge square. I don't know what's it called. Gemulfna. Uh, oh, well done.
0: I could never pronounce that. And uh, during the day, it's um, you know all sorts of people wandering around. And all of a sudden, about what four or five o'clock in the afternoon,
3: maybe slightly later than slightly that. Later. Uh, the sun uh, starts to go uh, down. Yes, and they set up. And then the, all
0: of a sudden, uh, everybody appears like the biggest. It's almost like I don't know. Pop up food place in the world probably.
3: That's exactly, that's exactly and uh, there's uh, nothing probably you cannot get uh, yeah, so there. So people just
0: arrive, they set yeah. it up, they, they yes. come with tables, chairs, everything and it's huge, it's massive, acres and acres. Absolutely, of, of, of. absolutely. Now I remember going and um, you say you can get anything, um, they were selling um, snails in a big Hot. not look very good, though, Gordon.
3: Was, uh, I have to say, I, I, I've not, uh, I haven't tried those, uh, those myself. But uh, depending on how uh, adventurous you uh, you you are, and uh, and, and all you, sorts you of parts of the
0: digestive yeah, tracts of yeah, animals, that yeah. I've never even didn't even know they were part of an animal. Uh,
3: uh, the anything. <laughs> and you know, uh, they also have the equivalent of uh, a Moroccan. You could only call it a Moroccan haggis uh, over there. And uh, and being Scottish. Uh, you've you you, fried it uh, do you know I have not You see, this, uh, I've uh, tried
0: all sorts this, of stuff this, in there I don't even know half yeah, of what no, I have and tried and, and but, I know but, some of it are probably to do with organs that I probably wouldn't want to taste but, but do you know I think
2: one of the things that's interesting about Moroccan food is that actually it's one of those cuisines that has been ghettoised by a single dish Yeah. You know, so actually when we think about Moroccan food we think about tagine mm-hmm. and actually it's a lot more complicated and nuanced than that um, there's a book I came across recently called Casablanca um, which is written by a Moroccan um, chef called uh, Negris Benkalabou, um, and she is um, she's an amazing um, chef. Grew up in Belgium, and really kind of explodes the myth of like actually what is Moroccan food and how diverse it is. And it's it's not just preserved lemons and tagine. <laughs> and that, you know it's
3: it's it's really you know it's really it's a really interesting cuisine actually. Absolutely, and uh, uh, from what I understand now, uh, uh, the Moroccan cu- uh, cuisine it's about the the sixth. Uh, most uh, interesting, sought after, uh, researched, and enjoyed cuisine now uh, on the the planet. Uh, it it really is coming to the the fore now.
0: Yeah, interesting. Um, but but great sort of eaters of what I would call Cinderella cuts of of food because you know because people can be not necessarily particularly wealthy that they will make use of literally any part of the animal because you need to Um, which I'm really sorry Ross (laughs) we're
4: talking about (laughs) we've
0: invited (laughs) you as a halo burger we 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 might have a vegan to discuss them right so I'm I'm terribly sorry it wasn't particularly good scheduling on our part (laughs) but 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 interestingly, the way it's a game
2: that of two halves, so We can we can we go deep into halves. the into the into the mm. entrails of animals, and then we can leave <laughs> sure. them in the
3: second set.
0: But but the, there is this sort of culture of using everything and, and not wasting anything,
3: which which is quite interesting. Very much, uh, yeah. uh, very much. Um, but uh, again, uh, and, and people put so much uh, effort into uh, uh, the the love and the enjoyment of uh, of cooking, not like. Um, uh, you, you know some of the, uh, uh, I suppose, you know, processed food that we are used to from uh, supermarkets over yeah. here. It still is uh, is it's a authentic deep, deep and part real. of their yeah. their culture. Yes.
0: I once spent New Year's Eve in Marrakesh. It was brilliant. It was <laughs> crazy. Do you
2: remember it.
0: it? Yeah. Was it? We- yeah, because it was so good. You didn't want, want not remember it. It was fantastic. It was just mad. It's a
2: and, great part of the world. We go to Esa, I go to Essaouira of it as well, which is a uh, yes, lovely, yeah. which is which is like such a mini version. I think that's kind of a nice bite-sized version of yeah. Morocco because you get in there and actually you don't get that lost in. in, in, in so Virginia.
0: I stayed right in the middle of the old town um, of uh, Marrakesh. Yeah. yeah, and I have I've been I've travelled a little bit, not as much as you, Ollie, but I I, I genuinely would say that I had culture shock. It was, it, it was, everything was different, every single thing. And and living right in the middle of, of yeah. the old town was, was really quite cultural. And I, I used to work in Tunisia, so you think i will be used to it, but it was, it was incredible. And then after about two or three days, you just go with it. Yeah. Because you, go, you, you can't, can't do anything fight else. It. No. You can't fight It's it. like, right, I just need yeah. to get with it, really.
2: But what's amazing, it's only a three-hour flight from London. I mean, yeah. actually, you know... The culture's
0: massively different. Some of the
2: world's worst airlines fly direct.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's get over that. So, Gordon, tell me how you got involved in Morocco Gold then. What's your link and your connection? And all of a sudden you, you, you've started to help produce this amazing olive oil.
3: Oh, we, we've been going to uh, Morocco now for uh, uh, almost 11 years. Uh, we, we have uh, a Riyadh in the, the middle of the, the Medina. And oh. uh, and uh, I, I have been looking for a project to get my teeth into uh, for as long as I've been over there. Uh, but what is happening in uh, in Morocco... The the government there are putting a lot of effort into both uh, increasing the capacity of uh, their uh, olive groves, also modernising uh, the uh, olive oil production uh, itself. And with my background, uh, I, I had about you know, thirty years in uh, in business transformation, including in the the food and drinks uh, industry. Myself and uh, one of my your colleagues, we're actually bringing that skill set to help with the the modernization of uh, the uh, olive oil sector and we've actually been working with uh, uh, some local uh, suppliers halfway up into the atlas mountains where uh, where this oil comes from and putting all of the quality control procedures all of the traceability procedures in place that will enable this absolutely wonderful oil uh, to be marketed and sold in the the UK and uh, other uh, other markets it's interesting because olive oil is one of those
2: it's one of those classic
3: commodities that actually over
2: the time you know the same as flour same as butter same as you know a whole series of things like that where actually we there is such a fundamental difference between premium olive oil and the kind of mass market you know, base stuff. Which everything has their role in, in in the cooking processes. You know, indeed, yes, but, yes. Um, but you're you're focused on the more high end of olive oils.
3: Yes, we are, uh, and uh, one of the reasons that uh, we uh, we are doing this, uh, I, I think, you know, we, we we all know that there have been issues within uh, uh, the the olive oil sector and the way that it is uh, badged and presented uh, as uh, as extra virgin. Uh, we've taken the view that uh, we want to set uh, a, really a new standard for uh, authenticity, traceability and the absolute guarantee of, uh, of extra virgin uh, equality. Uh, that's why on the, uh, uh, on the, the reverse uh, label... We've actually included the the specification details uh, that actually say uh, at a glance that this is genuine your extra virgin uh, quality.
0: And extra virgin, for people who don't know, it's the first pressings of the olive. Uh, So there's no chemicals used to extract the oil. It's literally cold. You press it and that's what gives you that really clean taste. That's Whereas exactly, when it's not yes, extra virgin, yes, yes, yeah. there's a second pressing or whatever it might be, or, the, or, or there's a an extraction process which might not be quite as natural.
3: Uh, yes, uh, also it's done with uh, with very uh, young fruit, uh, so that uh, you you are getting that uh, that that fresh uh, virgin uh, your taste uh, with uh, with this you know, type of oil.
0: Now, um, olive trees actually they are very very distinct in the way that they look. It Doesn't matter what country you're in, there, they, you know, there's something nulled and old and lovely about olive trees. I think
3: personally. Oh, gnarled uh, and, oh, yeah. uh, and old. Uh, some of the oldest trees that um, uh, I, I think um, not not just in Morocco. They can be um, you know, up to two thousand years old. So uh, yeah, they would look a little bit. Uh, uh, they're rink- amazing. Rink. Um, one olive tree
0: can produce around four liters of oil every year for hundred for a hundred years. Yeah. Uh,
3: yes. Yes. Very
0: incredible. Yeah. Yep, yep. um, and uh, it says in this. Bit of research I've got here. Seventy percent of olive oil being sold is not actually pure olive oil. It's got a few other things in it.
3: Regrettably, uh, that uh, is the the case. Um, and uh, is that guess, pressure? You know,
0: price pressure as usual, trying to shortcut and come up with something. But is that specification?
2: Is that a specification? Because I know in the world of rice, for example, the retailers sell basmati rice. But it's not 100% basmati rice. So any Tilda is the one that does like 100, 100, 100% pure basmati rice. Is it? Is it the case in the UK that you can sell an olive oil and it's not 100% olive oil? What you mean? You're allowed to
0: call it that? As in, it's uh, yeah. So uh, you yeah, so
2: know, okay, yeah. you're 90% there, so you you're close enough.
3: Uh, or is it? Uh, unfortunately, it's uh, it, it it goes further than that. Uh, people do uh, adulterate uh, olive oils with uh, rapeseed oil, yeah, other uh, you, you, uh, types of uh, types of oil. So, in the worst instances, uh, your people have been. Uh, uh, guilty of uh, of fraud uh, but, with. Uh,
0: but are you allowed uh, to call the, it olive oil if it's fifty percent olive oil, for example, or, or do you not know that?
3: Uh, you uh, not to that n- no, you should not be uh, be calling it uh, olive oil, and you certainly should not be calling it uh, extra virgin uh, olive oil.
0: Yeah. Okay. Very good. Now, Greek people love their olive oil. They do. Can you believe they, on average, uh, eat? Or drink, or whatever you might call it, consume 20, That's it. Twenty-six liters of olive oil each every year. That means they drink that they have consume half a liter of olive oil a week. <laughs> that's incredible.
2: That's a lot of. Oil. What, what are we at? Have you got that stat? Because no. I'd love to know that. Yeah, that would be interesting. That's really interesting. Mm. I mean,
3: what 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 I can tell you is that um, uh, on average uh, in the UK we consume. Less than uh, a tenth of uh, of what uh, other Mediterranean countries uh, actually uh, consume. So uh, where the uh, people in the, whether it's Greece, Italy, Spain, or whatever, they are actually getting the benefits of uh, a Mediterranean diet, and uh, and us here in the UK, we are just not. And uh, and again, that's one of the things that uh, we are actually setting out but to. But that's
2: a lot change. of that is down to the the way that we cook in this country, and actually, we don't. You know, you know, there's a whole debate around should you cook with olive oil. That actually, mm. what the, what the burning temperature is. Actually, mm. should you cook with with more of, a, say, a rapeseed oil. What's the role for you know, for dressing? And actually, our style of eating here actually has less less opportunities, I think, for olive oil usage than clearly an Italian or or more Mediterranean diet would.
3: But I think the more that people are becoming interested in uh, in health, uh, healthy eating. Uh, the the more that they are uh, exposing themselves to, uh, to 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 finding out about uh, extra virgin uh, olive oils uh, and uh, the the taste that it has uh, the uh, the the health benefits that uh, that do go uh, go with it
0: Well, let's have a little taste, shall we? That's all in the taste.
3: By all means.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, um, you you were one of our finalists in the Food Talk Awards earlier this year because we loved the story of what you were doing. Um, I know you're very keen um, to, and and I know the Moroccan government as well is trying to get more women into agriculture. So, um, quite a few sort of women have been involved in. you know, developing this as well, which is great. Um, Are you allowed to eat this, Ross? Uh, I am, yes. Olive oil, good. So So I don't feel quite so embarrassed. Thanks for checking in. It's great. Now, the thing that we really liked about it is, um, yes, uh, you really wanted to guarantee the provenance and the authenticity, um, but we loved the taste as well, which for us is a single estate as well, You know, a single estate virgin olive oil, which is great. And for me, I remember it being incredibly green, it felt very green to me in a very nice way, in the way it sort of tasted. Um is anybody else picking that up? Grassy, in a way.
2: Yeah, no, I mean you, you can definitely pick that up in it. Yes. So this is so this, so so the olive oil that you're producing. Do you do different types, different grades?
3: So what what are we what are we trying here? Uh, the, uh, this is uh, the the only grade that uh, we actually do. Uh, this is um, uh, the. The greenness uh, you know, comes from uh, the, uh, the the age of the olives uh, when they're actually pressed. Uh, they are uh, uh, yeah they are harvested uh, very young. You get uh, that indeed, of the almondy taste because of it. Uh, yes. Now, uh, where the almond taste comes from, uh, some of the uh, the, mm. the groves they do have uh, almond trees uh, growing in clo- uh, close proximity, and the roots of both of the uh, the, the olive trees and the almonds. They go you know, quite far and quite deep, and you uh, you do pick up these uh, if you're, you're crossbreeding between mm. the of tastes uh, between those uh, those two trees. What are you thinking? It's lovely. It's lovely. I mean, it's it's a really good
2: example, I think, of, of you know of, of a different quality olive oil and, it's and... very creamy. Hmm.
0: Delicious. It's got a creamy sort of texture. What are you thinking over there, Holly? I know you're just tucking in.
1: (laughs) Very happily. Um, I think it's really delicious and I think with lots of grassy olive oils there can be a bitterness that comes with that. But actually with this Yeah. Mm. Whereas this is quite kind of fruity and creamy and quite kind of smooth on the palate.
3: Uh, yeah, yeah yes indeed because uh, I, I think uh, uh, with, with some other you know, genuine uh, extra virgin uh, olive oils, uh, there is the, that, that peppery sensation in the, the throat that, that, that can become just a little bit uh, on the aggressive side uh, with this one. Uh, yes,' it's, it, it's there, but it's by no means uh, aggressive and we think that this is it, it, uh, it's a good match for the, uh, for the UK palate, uh, we think.
0: Very good. So if you're interested in this one, it's uh, called Morocco Gold. So it's morocco-gold.com. And at the moment, um, it's for sale in Partridge's, Fortnum & Mason, other major stockists. But I presume if somebody goes on the website, Gordon, they can find out where to get it. Uh,
3: yes, yeah, yes, indeed they can. And um, uh, our, our main thrust is to uh, have it readily available through our website, uh, www.morocco-gold.com. Jolly good. Ross?
0: What were you thinking there? Do you what, what do you use to cook your burgers? We'll come on to your burgers in a
4: minute. Uh, good question. So that, um we don't use anything. We put them straight on the griddle. So just they have, as they are. Uh, yeah, just as they are.
0: Absolutely. Mm. Would you would you use this? It's lovely, isn't
4: it? It's lovely, yeah. And what I'm getting from you have that should drink I, that. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, it just tastes incredibly fresh. Yeah. I feel like I've just been next to the farm and you've just pressed that out for me yesterday or today, and it's just you can really that really comes through.
0: Oh. They are. Got, got lots of nice comments there, yeah. Gordon. So let's turn to Halo Burger. Now I think um in the news there has been quite a lot during 2017, hasn't there, about vegan burgers and, and there's something about the human psyche that that, that that somehow sometimes a burger is the only thing that'll ever do. And it's a bit like a bacon sandwich. I think when you are maybe vegan or vegetarian, it could be one of those things in your head you miss mm. but actually you don't want you don't want the meat to go yes. with it. Um and so lots of people have been trying to to, to sort of sort of it's a crack—not just the taste of a burger, but actually it's the mouthfeel and the look and the—it's everything about it, isn't it? The smell. Absolutely. And that's what is so difficult to. It's the full it's experience, you
4: know. And uh, it should look raw, like a raw burger when it's raw. It should cook like a burger when it's cooking, and it needs to look, smell, uh, and and really look like that's that's cooking like an actual burger. And then when you eat it. It needs to be the right colour, the right texture, the right flavour. So there's there's so many elements to, to the the entire process of cooking a beef burger that that you're looking to replicate with within these kind of products.
0: So have you got any uh, sort of stats or anything about that? Um, well, I think I mean the, Ollie uh,
2: more more from a from a vegan perspective. So obviously, I think in, in 2018 there was a lot of talk about the growth of veganism, which is. Um, my opinion is completely misfounded. Um, Because if you take the data, there are less than half a million vegans in the UK. Uh, Even the Vegan Society admit that, and I actually think the number is close to about 250,000 strict vegans. But I think the interesting part is not the strict vegans. The interesting part is actually the people who are choosing to eat vegan food occasionally. And what's interesting is if you look at the data, less than 1% of the UK says they are a strict vegan, but 24% of the UK agree with the statement, while I'm not a vegan, I often eat vegan dishes. And if you then take that into more foodie communities, that increases from 24% to 42% amongst committed foodies. So actually what's really interesting is that the vegan thing, and we talk to a lot of brands about this is not about catering to vegans. Obviously, you can cater to vegans. It's a small community, and it's you know, and, and it's it's driven by a lot of different beliefs. But the idea of veganism or vegan dishes as a health choice every now and then to help you reduce your meat consumption and follow a more plant-based diet. Is where the trend is going.
0: Yeah, and I, I, I'm sure that's set to continue this year uh, and totally. throughout 2019. Now, I know what you've done is 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 you've you've opened the world's first restaurant specialising in the beyond. Burger.
4: Yeah, that's correct.
0: And and this is uh this is uh you're also going to have it launched in Tesco stores nationwide very soon, I think. Which is very that's really exciting.
4: Yes, well the the Beyond Burger from Beyond Meat in California. So that is that has actually just launched in Tesco's very recently. Mm. Um and um it's also launched in another couple of restaurants as well. But we're the first restaurant in the world to serve up only the Beyond Burger patties within our Halo Burgers, effectively.
0: So you've sourced these from somewhere else because. In your view, they're the best you could get in terms of an ex- you know, a non-meat experience.
4: Yeah, absolutely. So you know, we've we've, t- well, I mean, over the last eighteen months, we've been uh, trialing different products and, and recipes for the uh, the most authentic uh, burger experience one can have in the classic fast food burger realm, specifically, which is what Halo Burger is in. And yeah, go ahead. Mm,
0: yeah. So, so and, but, and you, but are you, are you is
2: manufacturing the, the burger? So the burger is manufactured by
4: someone else? Correct, yes. The burger is manufactured by Beyond Meat. Yep. And then we take that product and then formulate uh, and, and lay on top of it other plant-based products that we believe are also the best within their class to create an overall experience uh, that we believe is uh, as close as you can possibly get at the moment uh, to an actual normal classic fast food burger
0: that people have in their head the exactly. sort of image of that yeah so so th- this company um, produced the world's first bleeding Plant-based burger, in that um, you know when when you cut into it or when it's raw, it actually I think they use beetroot. Do they? Use that's beetroot? correct. It has has and all juice. sorts of other things. Yeah. Um, to to really give that, and it's a sort of quite nostalgic experience. I think
4: that's a great word. That's the that's one we use a lot in Halo Burger. So it, the the experience of eating that burger should feel comfortable and nostalgic for those that are eating it. Uh, as Ollie's just mentioned, uh, and I couldn't agree more that the, you know the largest contingent uh, that we're talking about here is the flexitarian contingent, and it's just folks that are looking to reduce their animal product intake of of any degree. And and, and what we found is a lot of those folks, um, uh, myself included, at one stage don't don't really want to compromise too much on their diet. They're willing to make some compromises, but I'm not going to make so many compromises that I I become a a, a vegan or follow a 100 plant based diet. And so, you know, what, what we're trying to do is, is create a product uh, where you don't have to compromise, it feels nostalgic. And within our environment as well, we're playing things like 80s tunes and 90s tunes to just bring the entire experience back to that nostalgia. To make people feel comfortable eating in what is effectively a hundred percent plant-based restaurant.
0: And what do you do with the cheese? Because obviously, that's you can't just have a slice of old Gouda in there, can you? No,
4: you can't. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, we have. Uh, so we've got American sliced uh, cheese, which is plant-based within the burger. And we've tasted as many uh, variants of that uh, that are out there that we could get our hands on. Uh, we found one that we think is, is the best in its class. And we've, we've tested that for, you know, how does it taste when it's not melted? How does it taste mm. when it's properly melted? Because that's two very different flavor profiles. What is the consistency of such a cheese when it's not melted? What is the consistency when it is melted? Etc. Etc. et, cetera, et cetera. Uh, And we found, uh, so we found the, the product and then we've also found the melting point. So it is... We're we going to have a deep conversation on vegan cheese now. Um, yeah. It's it's really important how you melt that cheese. So so under the cloche where we steam it, the the melting point of the cheese has to be just right. And when it is, it's delicious. It's like we we've had folks say that they prefer it. This that uh, meat eaters say they prefer it to regular American sliced uh, actual cheese.
0: Well, that's something because we have tasted quite a lot of vegan cheeses, haven't we, um, Ollie? And you know, regrettably they're, they're <laughs> sort of. Getting better, but I can't say there's one that I'm hugely, hugely, no, I, hugely impressed by. Like but they're I, okay, but they're a different. They they are a different thing. It feels like. But that and that that's kind of you
2: know, we had this conversation last week about we tried that amazing um, ice cider,
0: mm. and
2: actually I think one of the things that, that's interesting is it occasionally categories are problematic in terms of you know when you eat a piece of vegan cheese if you're expecting it to be a really good bit of cheese and it's not. That's really problematic, and I think actually, you know, what you're in, what's interesting is you're doing is you are going head to head with with quite a complicated category. You know, yes. the burger has enormous amount of, you know, heritage. It has a lot of, you know kind of taste profile, experiences that people expect. Absolutely, and so it's very difficult that you know you got to play against that. But cheese, most of them fail. Yeah, if we're honest. Yeah, but there are some new ones coming on the market from what we hear, and you know, it'd be interesting to see how those ones rate when we we open try them.
4: Yeah, it's interesting, and, and I agree with that. I think you know if you look at the the vegan cheeses out there, we've tried a, a number of. Them. Um, I think as you said too, they're getting better they're not quite there yet um, and to be honest we're quite fortunate that we've managed to found an American sliced cheese equivalent that we believe is at least as good as its animal, animal uh, product equivalent if not better because yeah I'd say a lot of the other variations uh, they've got a little bit of catching up to yeah. yet. Now, um, you won't know this, but
0: I was um, born in the sixties. Nice, a good mission, wasn't it? And uh, I, I, so, I live around the corner from Brixton. Oh, cool! And my mum used to take me around Brixton Market in my pushchair. Yeah. Uh, and um, it, it was in it was a bit of a state in the mm-hmm. seventies sort of and eighties, I would say. And now it's really vibrant again, Brixton Market. Yeah, I absolutely. really like it. And what I really like about it is you've got a huge mix of of, of nationalities and cultures. And the markets there are all about fresh food absolutely um and they are they do sell some interesting animal bits I don't even know they do. what they are but yeah. um th- there's loads of uh, vegetables, there's loads of fruits there's loads of you know really fresh meat and all that sort of thing and and there's beginning to be a really nice culture around that and it's a community culture it's not Borough Market manufactured, it actually is the community eating there which I really like you don't see tourists wandering around there or anything like
4: that No, and you're absolutely right and particularly being um, you a know, business owner within that community, you feel it on both, i felt it on both sides now, so as a consumer within within that area, you've got Pop Brixton, you've got Market Row, you've got Brixton Village as Electric
0: con- Avenue, Electric obviously Avenue. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, of
4: course sure. um, and you really feel it from that side and then when you're a trader, it's it's you're, you're on the other side and you're helping sort of um, provide into that community, um, but then you know, the, the traders have great relationships with each other and there's a, there's a real camaraderie there as well. And, yeah, you're right, it's it's really vibrant. The, the amount of variety of food choices, both restaurant-wise and uh, and grocer-wise, within Brixton is, is astonishing and it's very concentrated as well. It's really I mean, you're out of yeah. Pop Brixton and in Brixton Village in about 30 seconds and you're out of Brixton Village into Market Row in about 30 seconds.
0: So Pop Brixton, for people who don't know, um, is a community space and I think probably ages ago the council... It's probably, probably a bit run down, I would think. And, and obviously what they've done is put all those those huge containers in there yeah, and really allowed the community to go in, set up their own businesses. And it's two or three stories high now, I think, Yeah, isn't it? absolutely. Um, and if you go there at night, particularly in the winter, when it's dark, you know, oh, lights are on and there's all these different people... Doing all, I think one bloke just sells knives. Actually, it does yeah. he? Just sells kitchen yeah, knives. Yeah, one those. Um, uh, but you've got a little place there as well, and this is where you're doing this. Isn't we it?
4: have, yeah. So we're we're in one of the forty foot shipping containers in there. So yeah. we've we've uh, we've fitted it out so it replicates. Uh, effectively, what one would assume a uh, a regular fast food joint would look like. So it's the red colourings, the white walls. There's there's a bit of yellow within the sign. Again, brings back that nostalgic feeling of a regular fast food joint. Um, but yeah, no. Within Pop Brixton, exactly. It's 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 uh, you know it's, it's towers of shipping containers and little market stalls and alleyways. And it's almost like an adventure when you go there. It's a maze of if you. You just don't know what's going to be around each corner.
0: Because my problem that I've got with the one in Brick Lane is it's all gone a bit upmarket. It looks like it just looks like a shopping centre. So that's that actually not the point the point of you know these sort of box parks is that local people actually will go and take them over and they 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 have their own vibe of their own absolutely
4: yeah they bring a bit of their soul and their personality to the space Mm -hmm. and i think from what i can see there's a bit more freedom uh to do what you want with your your own space within pop comparatively to some of the other the other places in london
0: Mm. But also, Box rent. Park
2: is also. I mean, it's much more in a kind of commercial area yeah. than, a, than a residential area. So in some ways, it's doing something a little bit mm. different. It, I mean, it's more sort of retail, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I guess so. I just uh, the one in Brixton feels more authentic to me because it feels like it's serving the community, mm. as opposed to somebody, you know, looking at a, a tourist map and going, "Oh, we must go there," and therefore people are wandering around, but they're not really buying anything. But whereas there, that it is local. It, well, it feels. it. I'm not suggesting there's an, we shouldn't do that, but, but mm. this does feel particularly local.
4: Yeah, I have to say, you know, you, Pop does feel very much a part of the community. It does feel part of Brixton now, for sure. I think, you know, to talk about Box Park, it does have a lot of uh, traders in there that don't sell food. So it's uh, there might be fashion uh, brands, etc. cetera, within there. And that, that definitely provides a different element to it. Whereas Pop Brixton, apart from the knife shop, uh, and there's barbers there. There's, there's a few other places, but mm. predominantly it is a food experience and people are going there for a glass of wine and a beer and, and food.
0: Can you see that that um, increasing as a trend, Oli, uh, you know, in terms of, Look, I think of allowing the, people to take over spaces?
2: <clears throat> I think one of the exciting things about it is, is that, you know, I think, you know, in the UK, there's lots of coverage of, you know, the death of the high street and rise in rates and actually the fact that the environment to create a restaurant is, is pretty brutal at the moment. And look, the staff issues are not going away. Those are massive and will remain massive, uh, the tax and all those issues. But actually, if you have got a place where the infrastructure at least is there and they can bring in, you know, the services, and we've talked about this in a completely different world where, you know, creating innovation hubs for food, actually, you can create a vibrancy and the footfall. And actually, the difficulties is, you know, is footfall and his rates and his services and actually the cost of setting these, these things up. And if you've got an infrastructure there,
4: That helps.
0: Is it expensive, Ross?
4: Um not if you look at it. I mean, the key difference I found with launching into pop, because we weren't looking at bricks and mortar sites to start off with, is the is the premium or the lease premium you pay up front for a restaurant, which can run over a hundred thousand uh, pounds easily within London just for the benefit of taking a hot food license on that premises, as well as the current trade, which which you would but presumably be changing if you if you're changing that business. Uh you don't have to pay that at POP. So uh, well, what
0: sort of stuff are you having to pay in terms
4: of rent? Uh so it's it's a rent. Payment and it is it's bills effectively, so which it, it, it really does without that least premium payment. It helps you know entrepreneurs get on that ladder, get a foot in, show what they can do to then grow out of pop. You know, there's examples such so as cricket, the Indian uh, place now that have got three sites across London that started in Pop Brixton just upstairs. It's a great place
0: are. to experiment. Mm. You, might, what, you might want to think about that, Gordon. Have a little olive oil yeah. stand in, in Pop Brixton, that'll, that'll make it really cool, yeah,
3: absolutely. <laughs>
0: But it's, it's got a, it's got a great sort of vibe. Do you think these these places will will sort of I don't know compete against farm shops or delis?
1: I don't think they need to compete necessarily. I think there's um, a growing audience um, for and kind of growing um, contention of businesses who want to do things properly, who want to uh, promote quality and traceability, and you know have that connection with the food and the customer. Um, I think they, yeah, I I, I don't know whether um, things like Box Market feeds the more urban audience and then farm shops and delis are the more rural,
0: perhaps. Yeah, it's much simpler, I think, because you'll you'll often get guys just cooking on two gas rings, won't you, And, 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 you know, or they're only serving three beers. So it's quite a small operation, but it is a great stepping stone if you're, experimenting before you launch into mm. something uh, bricks and mortar that's going to cost quite a lot of money.
2: But I have to say, I also think there's a danger in this area, which is the fact the barriers are so low, mm. I think there are times the quality can be really poor. And I've certainly seen um, food experiences in these kind of pop-ups where I saw a guy cooking, you know, flank steak straight onto, like, a barbecue and it's like, mm, you know... You know, actually, and it was tough and it wasn't really well cooked. And, you know, you come be like, Look, if you're king a flank, maybe you just sous vide it first. And, you know, like lots of things. And actually, they hadn't really marinated, they sort of brushed it on. It was just like, you know, actually, you could, there are a certain number of gamers who, who like the idea of, of, of doing this. And I think that the danger with this, the barriers are so low, you know, actually,
0: but, but don't you think the market will decide that? The market will it's decide right, those it's people. bit Like this olive oil here, you know. In the end, people try it, but they'll, you, know, you might get them to try it once. But if it's not a good experience, they won't do it Yeah,
4: again.
2: you don't get the lines out those kind of places. Yeah,
4: and it's also interesting, you mentioned that. So I, I can't speak for other sites because I'll be honest, we didn't we didn't look at them. But with Pop Brixton, there is a vetting process. Mm. So you have to cook your food in front of them. You have to pitch, and that's important. That's yeah, um, you that's know good. that you need to fit their vibe and their atmosphere, and because it's a, it's, a, it's a it's a it's a community that you've got to fit into.
0: Um, and just finishing off, um Ollie, the demise of the high street is a big thing, and and we're seeing that a lot. but but the the great thing about these is they create an atmosphere and it does feel like an experience. And you need to create an experience for retail now, don't you?
2: You do. And the thing that I, I mean, you know we we record this um, this program in in King's Cross and the new development. And what I find amazing about London, and it's true also in in some of the other major cities, is the amount that is going on in this city at the moment, despite everything, the amount that's going on is unbelievable. And actually, I think the the choices that we have as consumers nowadays—do like, you go to King's Cross? Do you go to
0: Brixton? Do you know, do you actually? Yeah, I mean, I was Soho. in White, White I mean, City a couple of weeks ago. That's amazing, a huge it's done enough going on there. Yeah. Um, and I think, God, they're all competing with each other.
2: They are. <laughs> really? They are. I mean, I mean it's really—I think it's choices. really competitive. Hmm.
0: Final word from you, Holly. Some, some. I know we're sort of coming towards the end of January now, uh, 2019. But any predictions for for, for your sort of areas of, of, of retail? They've got to keep up with the best products, haven't they? They've got to bring new stuff. They've got to be different from the supermarkets and yeah. maybe look at a bit of experience in store.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think, um, like you say, kind of experience is key, quality is key. Um, and as I say, the customers and shoppers are wanting clarity and they're wanting the connection with their food and the story and whether that's in the form of uh street markets or pop-up vendors or delis or whatever it is just you know there's a community of like-minded business people a community of like-minded shoppers um you know let's just make sure they're catered
0: for, make sure they're connected yes well that bodes well for you gordon and morocco oil
3: uh, doesn't it really? Uh, I, I, I think uh, yes. I think it does. And uh, 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 one of the things that we're particularly um, uh, pleased uh, with is that we've helped to support uh, the communities, uh, particularly of, of Moroccan women, and uh, provided uh, you further your job opportunities for uh, for for them. Uh, whether that's uh, being directly involved in the uh, the, the harvesting process, or uh, a, a whole range of other, you know, call them social enterprises that uh, the uh, Moroccan women are actually involved in, uh, back, in uh, back in Morocco.
0: Oh, excellent stuff. So um, if you haven't tried Morocco Gold, you better Google that and get on there. There'll be links from uh, from our website anyway. Thank you very much, Gordon Davidson. And if you haven't been to Brixton for a while, you should. You should actually go. Pop along. Uh, Have a good old look around uh, Brixton Village, Brixton Market, and then cross the road and um, pop over to Brixton Pop. And go and visit Halo Burger.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And um, Everybody's
0: welcome. Do hurry up. Go y- along.
4: Absolutely. Yeah. You'll be surprised. Yeah, you will be surprised. Yeah, we're definitely aiming to blow people's minds with what we're doing. You can find us on Instagram at, uh, at Halo Burger UK.
0: There you go. Good at marketing as well. Love it. <laughs> so you've been listening to The Food Talk Show, and as you know, we're syndicated all across the UK and further afield, as well as being available on Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, iTunes and the podcast app on your phone. Thank you again Ollie thank you for that. You're welcome. Great Interesting fun, as to usual. watch retail actually in 2019. Yeah, definitely. It's going to happen. And uh, thank you, Holly Shackleton, editor of Speciality Food. Thank Thank you. Um, If you know any groundbreaking guests that you think we should be interviewing in the food sector, please get in touch with us uh, via Twitter on at Food Talk Show. If you want to listen to any of our hundreds of podcasts going back uh, three or four years now, foodtalk.co.uk, or of course, you can get hold of stuff via the Great British Chefs website. I hope you have a good week. Bye.